Hello, everyone. This is Hank Smith, co-host with John, by the way, of the Follow Him podcast. We have loved learning the history and content of the Doctrine and Covenants with you this year, and we are excited to announce that we will be back next year for the Old Testament. We want to build faith in the Lord and the words of his prophets and as many people as possible. Bring on Come Follow Me 2022. Welcome to Follow Him, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping individuals and families with their Come Follow Me study. I'm Hank Smith. And I'm John, by the way. We love to learn. We love to laugh. We want to learn and laugh with you. As together, we follow him. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Follow Him. My name is Hank Smith. I'm your host. I am here with my honest, true, chaste, (laughs) benevolent, and virtuous co-host, John, by the way. I've been excited for that one for a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> just just pronouncing benevolent is an effort. Thank you. <laughs> right. I, I think it was you a long time ago who's, who taught me that that sounded a little bit like chased by an elephant. And oh, I've, always, I've always wanted to thank you for that. What my dad sure used to say, me. honest, true, and yeah. chased by an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John, what a week. What a week we have. Uh, tell us who's joining us. Yeah, we're very honored today to have a face that's familiar to you if you watch General Conference. <laughs> so this is Brother Ahmed Corbett, uh, the first counselor in the Young Men's General Presidency. And we're so happy to have him here today. I have a little bio. He was uh, born in Philadelphia and he and his wife, uh, Jane, have six children. He has an undergraduate degree in sociology from Richard Stockton College of New Jersey and a law degree from Rutgers University School of law. Uh, He served as a full-time missionary in Puerto Rico and was a stake president and mission president in the Dominican Republic. Um, He served as a a trial lawyer, executive director of corporate communications. He's got a long list of professional accomplishments, Um, was the director of the church's New York Public Affairs Office at one time and is currently works for the church's uh, missionary department. And also, like I said, serves as first counselor in the Young Men's General Presidency. So we are really thrilled to have you here today with us, Brother Corbett. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here with you both. I, I'm so honored to be here and and thrilled uh, and privileged to be able to, to speak to your audience. I thought Hank was going to say that John, that you had endured all things as well. Uh, <laughs> That's true. I mean, he he didn't say you were lovely, but 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 you know, I was waiting for him to say you endured all things. <laughs> yeah, when you look at me, you think that dude's been through a lot. That's what people say. There's a lot of mileage. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> With me as his co-host, he has endured a lot. That is true. I should have mentioned that. <laughs> oh. Well, welcome, Brother Corbett. I think everybody is so excited to hear from you. The lesson this week from the Come Follow Me is the Articles of Faith and Official Declarations 1 and 2. So it's really kind of fun, interesting stuff we have to talk about today. And I think some very faith-building things as well. So, Right. And I think, Brother Corbett, we're, John and I just kind of want to listen and learn. John mentioned uh, my background in public affairs and public relations. You know, the, the Wentworth letter, as I see it, from that standpoint, was kind of a a, a public relations attempt to help uh, people outside of the church mainly understand that some you know some of the falsehoods and things that were being said by the church 
Um, and, and that was important to do. The, the church, by the way, had just established the millennial star just a short time before. In the history of the church, I love this article uh, that's from the millennial star. It's, uh, it's February 1st of 1842. It's a little long, but I'll try to read it fast. It says, in the midst of general distress, which prevails in this country on account of what uh, of the want of employment, the high price of provisions, uh, the oppression, priestcraft, and iniquity of the land, it is pleasing to the household of faith to, com- to contemplate a country reserved by the Almighty as a sure asylum for the poor and oppressed, a country every way adapted to their wants and conditions, and still more pleasing to think that thousands of saints have already made their escape from this country and all its abuses and distress and that they have found a home where, by preserving industry, they may all enjoy the blessings of liberty, peace, and plenty. So it, it, goes, it goes on, and this is talking about uh, uh, saints who have come from England as well. Uh, it is not yet two years since the saints in England, in obedience to the command of their Heavenly Father, commenced the general plan, to immigration, uh, a plan of emigration to the land of Zion. They were few in number, generally poor, and had every opposition to encounter both from want of means and from the enemies of the truth and here's the point who circulated every falsehood calculated to hinder or discourage them newspapers and tracts were put in circulation sermons and public speeches were delivered in abundance to warn the people that Nauvoo was a barren waste on the seashore that it was a wild and uninhabited swamp that it was full of savages, wild beasts, serpents, that all the English saints who should go there would be immediately sold for slaves by the leaders of the church, and that there was nothing to eat, no water, and no way possible to obtain a living. And it goes on and on, uh, when in fact, much of the opposite of that was was true. They had a great economy and and all kinds of good things were happening in Nauvoo. The, the church leaders were wise enough at that time, and they still are, to, to publish the truth and help people to see what the kingdom of God is. That sounded like our day, listen to this, who circulated every falsehood and calculate every falsehood calculated to hinder or discourage. That is, <laughs> that happens to the church That's still. That's our day. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Every falsehood. I, you know, when my students sometimes hear things about the church, I'm I, I'm sometimes amazed that that of the things that some people come up with to hinder or discourage people from the church. The Wentworth letter is let's set the record straight. Let's set the record straight. Yes, you know, PR kind of has a bad, bad can have a bad name, and of course, if it's manipulative, if it's false, if it's spinning things. Then it, that it ought to have a bad name. But uh, it was clear to leaders of the church, and it's clear to leaders of the church today, that the church has a church communications department and great leaders who, who lead that. And they're not out spinning things or manipulating. They are setting the record straight, just like Joseph Smith did with the Wentworth letter. When asked uh, by the Chicago Democrat, name of the newspaper uh, at that time in Illinois, what his church believed in and what they were all about. You can read an entire, uh, the entire copy of the Wentworth letter if you want. If you have the uh, your Gospel Library app and you go to the 
uh, and you go to the this week's lesson, if you scroll down just a little bit, there's a paragraph uh, where it says, see also guide to the scriptures, the articles of faith, an L. Tom Perry message. You can you can just tap on chapter 38, the Wentworth letter and teachings of the presence of the church, Joseph Smith, and you can read the, the entire letter uh, right there. Uh, so the articles of faith were really just a part of this. The articles of faith were part of the Wentworth letter. Yep, they sure were. And I think it's called the Wentworth letter. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's called the Wentworth letter because it was written to a man with the last name of Wentworth. Yes. Uh, it was a newspaper editor and was writing a history, I think. Yeah, it's John Wentworth John of Wentworth. the Chicago Democrat. And it was like, it was, it, it kind of surprised me. It, they were writing the history of New Hampshire or something. New Hampshire. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, now what does New Hampshire, I know that Joseph Smith was born in Sharon, Vermont, but those states, they're kind of small, maybe that there was some interaction. I don't know why New Hampshire exactly, but. Of course, Joseph Smith was born in Vermont. You're thinking his parents were from New Hampshire? Lucy Mack was born in Gilsom, New Hampshire. Joseph Smith goes on to say, as Mr. Bastow, and this is the, the man who's writing the New Hampshire history, as Mr. Bastow has taken the proper steps to obtain correct information, all that I shall ask at his hands is that he publish the account entire, ungarnished, and without misrepresentation. Can we send this? <laughs> Let's send this to <laughs> some of the church's critics today. All right. Just, we ask that you try to not do anything with this, but just <laughs> yeah, just tell the truth. How about that? Yeah. Just correct information. That's all yeah, we're after. Just give correct information. <laughs> um, you know, and we hear about that, Hank. Somebody, it's like somebody on the news, they interview him for two hours and then show, you know, 30 seconds of clips. They find some something they can use. And so I, I can see why <laughs> Joseph Smith would say, will you publish the whole thing? I can yeah. totally, totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and and in fact, as uh, as BYU employees, we are not supposed to give interviews because for that very reason that something can be twisted and taken and and uh, manipulated, uh, and that was happening to Joseph Smith. I think all the time is this I of this falsehood causing so many problems, um, and and how do you fix that? Right? How do you fix a, a loud voice that is lying about you? That's got to be so frustrating. No social media. You can't have your own Twitter account. So you're relying on on publishers to put out correct information. And then when they don't, uh, it's got to be, I can't imagine the frustration. It turned out that this request, I mean, blesses the entire world. Had uh, had John Wentworth or, or Mr. Basto not made this request, we may not have this rich set of articles of faith and, and the standard of truth as well. Yeah, that's part of the last part that's so compelling and motivating that, uh, in fact, I believe it's just before the statements of belief of the Articles of Faith is that the standard of truth has been erected. Why don't we read that, John? Do you have that in front of you? I do, actually. Oh, we can all recite it from memory. <laughs> no, we can't. Do you, want, do you have it, Brother Corbett? Would you like to read it? I don't have it, but how about if uh, if I recite it and you guys check me? Okay, because you, you've memorized it. I, I, I think so. The standard of truth has been erected. No unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. 
persecutions may rage, mobs may combine, armies may assemble, calumny may defame, but the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent, till it has penetrated every continent, visited every clime, swept every country, and sounded in every ear, till the purposes of God shall be accomplished, and the great Jehovah shall say the work is done. That's a statement makes you want to stand up and, and cheer. It's prophetic. I mean, I was, uh, I think I shared on another one, the Cincinnati Gazette in an article about July 3rd, I think of 1844, reporting the martyrdom of Joseph Smith and the last three words of the excerpt were, thus ends Mormonism. They thought that's over, but they're not very good at prophesying the Cincinnati Gazette because 11 years later, there was no Cincinnati Gazette. But uh, <laughs> but this idea that that nothing can stop this in this part of the Wentworth letter is very very compelling. In many missions, uh, missionaries are baptizing more converts during the pandemic than they than they did previous to the pandemic. The Lord has made means and provided means. A lot of it is through technology. Uh, a lot of it is people feeling isolated and, and, and humbled and needing the Lord. And, and some missions are truly baptizing more during a pandemic, which is amazing. It's astonishing to think that. The, nothing can stop the work from progressing is the prophecy. Not, the standard of truth has been erected. Nothing can stop this work. I love it. Um, and then he moves, yeah, he does. He moves right into the articles of faith. You want to know what we believe? It always is funny to me when critics of the church will try to tell us what we believe. I'm like, wait, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I I'm pretty sure I get to state what I believe, right? I heard Stephen Robinson once, uh, you know, the author of Believing Christ, and he talked to <laughs> somebody was telling him, you guys believe this or that. And he, he said, you know what? I am the world's expert on what I believe. <laughs> 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 and we well could all said. say that. I, I know what I believe. I'm the world's I'm the world's foremost expert on what I personally believe. <laughs> yeah. So here comes Joseph Smith saying, you want to know, here's what here's what we believe. Here's our basis. They're so powerful and um many uh primary children have them memorized. Uh well, you know, once Elder Perry uh was he was in his 90s and he said uh you know he still had the articles of faith memorized and he would advocate and teach that children still continue to memorize them and learn them and he had them he could recite them from when he was a child uh you know decades many decades earlier some of those songs stay mm -hmm. <laughs> i can still sing them from my primary from primary days. i won't i won't make you suffer through it that would be enduring <laughs> all things but uh, but i can still yeah that wouldn't be lovely and of good yeah, report it would not be lovely <laughs> <laughs> i mean he starts out and this is the bedrock of our of who we are we believe in god the eternal father in his son jesus christ and in the holy ghost when I talk to a student or a friend who's going through a uh, what they call a faith crisis, I, I usually come back to here. Let's do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Jesus Christ? And do you believe in the Holy Ghost? Right. Let, let's have us. This is the foundation. Let's see how deep your this fissure in your faith. How deep it goes? Um, does it go this deep? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? If we can start from there, feels like we can build something strong. 
Great way to start. And, and uh, funny you, you talk about faith crisis because Joseph Smith said in the lectures on faith that knowing that there is a God and his character are two of the three main things that you need to know in order to even have faith in God. Right. How We can't worship a being we don't know. And I, I think about the, the first vision, he called me by name and said, pointing to the other. I mean, what did he learn in that instant? He, he looked like me, he had hands, he had a voice, he called me by my name. Uh, amazing what he learned in that instant. And what was that thing that the prophet Joseph Smith said once, should you gaze into heaven for five minutes, you would know more than by reading everything that was ever written on the subject. And that's exactly what he got to do. As a father, he rescued him, him from that thick darkness uh, when he was just about ready to, to surrender to despair and destruction, as, as he thought and sensed in his own mind, Joseph. Uh, the, his father rescued him and chased darkness away from him. What a fatherly thing to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I've always told my students that when you believe in Jesus Christ— when you believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ, every other miracle becomes very plausible. <laughs> if, if you believe in a resurrected Jesus Christ who still lives today, every other miracle becomes really kind of small potatoes. It, it opens up to a world of possibilities, right? The resurrection of, of Jesus. Oh, this is good. People will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Isn't that so liberating? Unless you do something wrong. I mean, there have been times in my life where I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be punished for my own sins. <laughs> I would rather be punished for John's sins because there aren't any. Uh, <laughs> See, that's I what I was thinking. Behind. I catalog mine in a, a journal. Behind. Let me get volume four out for you. <laughs> no, I think the, um, the idea of agency is affirmed there. Um, I think a lot of the Articles of Faith were responding to probably questions they got at the time and maybe even to, to, to say where we're distinct. So the idea of original sin is, is kind of refuted there in that Article of Faith. Uh, the depravity of man, kind of one of the tenets of Protestantism, is, well, we'll be punished for our own sins, not for Adam's transgression. That, that's a... And... Uh, that's a nice thing to know. I, I remember Robert Millet having saying to our class once, you know, raise your hand if you're responsible for Adam's transgression. And nobody raised their hand. And he said, raise your hand if you've been affected by it. We all raised our hand, but that's very important distinction. Uh, and of course, that leads us to, to the mm -hmm. Savior's atonement, um, that through it, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And I, you know, I, President Nelson has taught us all, the whole church, to, to refer to the atonement as the Savior's atonement or the atonement of Jesus Christ, as opposed to just the atonement, as you just know. the atonement, yeah. Like this, this sort of amorphous act or event that saves us rather than Christ saving us through that act. Right. You cannot, you cannot separate the atonement of Jesus Christ from the character of Jesus Christ, right? Who he is. The only reason we have an atonement of Jesus Christ is because of his choices, his character. Uh, interesting, John and uh, Brother Corbett here, that we've got creation, fall, atonement. If you believe in God, you've got a creator. 
you have the fall in verse two and the atonement. The three pillars really of of the plan of salvation are articles of faith one, two, and three. Mm. Wow. Well, well said. Great observation. That's great. And I like that, uh, I mean, something that we need to state that may have feel like a contrast by obedience to laws and ordinances. And as the the debate that goes on, are we saved by our, our faith? Are we saved by the grace of Christ alone? Are we saved by our works? And there's this balance that comes into here with this. Uh, by obedience to laws and ordinances of the gospel, we're saved by the Savior. I mean, we're saved by the Savior. We can't earn our salvation. We know that. But the Savior asked us to do certain things. Um, and so that's kind of there. And I, I love what uh, C.S. Lewis said that he, he had been asked about whether we're saved by, I think he used faith or good works. And he said, I really have, this C.S. Lewis, I really have no right to speak on such an important topic, but it does seem a little like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary, which is what a brilliant way to, to put it. You know, there's, we're, we're trying to become like the Savior, but our, our striving to become isn't what saves us, but, but he asked us to become like him, so we... I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that. I just think that it's interesting that Article of Faith 3 has that idea, all mankind may be saved by obedience to laws and ordinances of the gospel. And then 4 kind of tells us what they are. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly right, John. I love. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. You could, you could put a period right there. We do believe that, that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. And what has he asked us to do? To be obedient to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, which are, right? And then we... And what comes into it, yeah. A man must be born of water and of the Spirit, so yeah. But you're right. The, we don't... Obedience doesn't save us. Uh, it is through the... All, all mankind may be saved through the atonement of Christ, period. We don't believe our works save us. But our, our works do take us closer to him. Do you remember Brad's analogy, our friend Brad Wilcox? said, uh, the Savior has paid the entire price for your piano lessons. He doesn't want to be paid back. He wants you to practice. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's just like any that's parent. a great he analogy. just wants you to practice. And, that, and that's what obedience to the uh, laws and ordinances of the gospel are, are us, us saying, yes, thank you for paying this price. I will practice. Yeah, and King Benjamin says, you know, he, he wants us to be steadfast, uh, always abounding in good works. Why? that Christ the Lord omnipotent may seal you his, that you may be brought to heaven uh, through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things. So it's he who will do the saving and, and the bringing to heaven. We, our role and responsibility and duty and opportunity and privilege are to embrace him. We, he, he lifts us, but we have to embrace him and we embrace him by the laws and by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. That that's a that's beautiful. The Savior brings me to heaven. Faith, repentance, my baptismal covenants, my baptism, and the Holy Ghost make it so I want to be there. Right? That they, they can make me the person I that that I need to be in order to want to be in heaven. Does that make sense, John? The idea of it's open to me because of the atonement, but do I want it? Well, that's that's where these come in. They'll they'll change who, what I want. 
President Dallin H. Oaks, I just loved that. Yeah, I think it was October of 2000, the talk he gave called The Challenge to Become. I'll try to paraphrase. It's, it's not just what we know, and it's not even what we do. But when we know what to do, we do what we know, we begin to become something different. And when the Savior works in our lives, we become different. And like you said, Hank, we begin to lose desire to sin. And and so clean hands, pure heart. We can be cleansed from our sins, but pure heart, we, we're trying to lose our desire to sin like King Benjamin's people did. And I've always wondered, is that permanent? I mean, is there an order form in the Book of Mormon I can pull out and sign up for that where I get that permanently? But then King Benjamin says, I'm going to give you a name. And I don't think it was permanent. I think all of us have felt that. We've listened to an inspiring talk or something and just been so fired up. Then we got to go back to work, back to school, back to the world. And so we need to keep coming back where the Spirit is to get that, that same feeling again, to lose our desire to sin. These people made a covenant and, and as John said, he gave them a name and said that the covenant you've made is a righteous covenant, uh, obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And of course, ordinances accompany covenants, and covenants accompany ordinances. Joseph Smith is how old in 18... I mean, he is laying out the gospel in such a simple way. <laughs> yeah, he's 36. I, I just don't know if I could have done this. Yeah, at 36, I don't know if I could have said, well, what do you believe? Well... Let me start at the beginning. Let me lay the foundation and make it simple and beautiful um, and powerful all at the same time. Why don't I just go ahead and write this up for you? These four principles and ordinances, faith, repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. How many times in the Book of Mormon do we come back to these four principles and ordinances? I mean, you've got 2 Nephi 31. Savior does it in second in 3511. He does it again in 35. 27, right? Come back to these over and over. This is the basis of everything we do. I had a, a, a friend that uh, in my ward that stopped me once. Wait, you've been, you taught Book of Mormon? And yeah, I have. And he said, well, what's the one thing you've learned over all these years? And thought about it. And I said, you know, the, the prevalence of first principles in the Book of Mormon, faith in Christ and repentance over and over again, and sometimes the ordinances too, but faith, repent, faith, repent. And I, and I want to emphasize it's faith could be just what we want to happen, but it's not faith in what we want. It's not just hope the sun will come out tomorrow. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in what he wants. And I remember, you know my story, Hank, of donating a kidney to my brother, and I thought we were so blessed. David was doing a project for the a church and they needed this thing urgently. It was to help with the translation of General Conference and sending it out to the world. And he had invented this thing that separated volume levels. It's a long story. Just thought it up. And uh, Elder Rex Pinnegar gave him a blessing and I thought he's going to heal him, you know, and we all had faith, right? He's going to heal him and he didn't. And what he said was, your body will not reject the new element. And that new element was in me. <laughs> so uh, I got to donate that kidney. But we, we learned such a wonderful lesson. Faith isn't faith in what you want. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had a, a better plan. And sometimes that's, that's, uh, that implies a real reliance on him, um, that he knows better then maybe faith in what we want to happen. No, it's the first principle is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's that's awesome, John. I think Elder Maxwell added, right? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ includes faith in the Lord's timing. In his timing. I think faith in the Lord Jesus Christ includes faith in the Savior's ability to use us as well. So there's some self-confidence in there as we walk with him, that we can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth us, as Paul said. Well, that's a good way to think of it. I mean, you get a calling that you don't think you can do, but if you have faith in Christ, then you have faith that he called you. Wow. That's a good way to, I love that. Preach My Gospel says, uh, defines faith, includes in faith in Christ, uh, trusting Christ, and also trusting that he will keep his promises. And, and so part of the promise of, of being called and, and ordained and set apart or whatever happens with us in our calling is that the Lord, by calling us, First Nephi 3.7, he has essentially declared that you can do this. And, and in fact, that goes right into to number five. I don't mean to get ahead of us, but we believe that a man, a, a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands of, of those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof. What does called by prophecy mean? It suggests to me a foreknowledge of the person who's called that, that she or he can do this calling very similar to what Alma teaches in Alma 13 about the foreknowledge of God. It's important because I think this article of faith may have been a response to the idea of the priesthood of all believers, that if you believe and love the Bible, then you have priesthood. And I think we may be a little closer to our, um, in, in our theology than to our Catholic friends who believe, no, there really is priesthood, there really is keys. And we believe a man must be called by, by prophecy, uh, by those in authority. There's an idea of, of some that have authority and have keys to do that. I think it's kind of huge, really. Man, this idea that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ includes faith in what he sees in me. Right? That I, that I believe in me because he does, and that's part of believing in him. I've never thought of it that way, but I really like that because we so often, you know, especially in the world today, our, our teenagers don't think they have any value, right? I'm, I'm a worthless person. I'm a waste of space. And faith in the Lord Jesus Christ includes now faith that you are important because he has declared you to be. So if you really believe in him, you believe in you. I, I love the beginning of the new Aaronic priesthood theme, relatively new, that I'm beloved son of God and he has a work for me to do. And faith in, in that, right? <laughs> and I and Brother Corbett, yeah. I, I liked what you did with verse five that you said she or he. So when Jill Smith writes, we believe that a man must be called of God, we could easily just add right there, we believe that a man or woman. Um called of God, right? That, that men and women are both used by, by the Lord in this work. Yes. And, uh, and you think of, think of sister missionaries, think of a, a counselor in a Relief Society presidency or the primary president or, or whomever. They, the, the brethren, are very clear that, that these sisters uh, lead, teach, administer the gospel by the power of the priesthood. President Oaks gave that talk and said, when a woman is set apart to serve in her calling, she's serving with priesthood authority. And then he said, what other authority 
could it be? I mean, we're, we're doing the, the work of God on earth. What other authority would that be? Or what other power could that possibly be? When John and I train, uh, John being a member of the Young Men General Presidency Council, uh, when we train others on the Children and Youth Program, we use a statement from President uh, Nelson who uh, implores the adult leaders to let the youth lead. He says, priesthood authority will have been delegated them. Uh, that's the quote, and then I'm paraphrasing the rest, but to lead in their, in their quorums, quorum and class presidencies. Uh, he, he, he definitely includes the young women in that and in, in, in saying that priesthood authority will have been delegated to them. And so we need to let them lead and, and exercise that authority. Uh, that, that, that by prophecy takes me back to, to, to the 138th section. Joseph F. Smith says, I observe that they were, uh, and they will become apparent in a minute, that they were among the, also among the noble and great ones who were chosen in the beginning to be rulers in the church of God. And he's talking about particular people. But then he goes on and says, even before they were born, they with many others, and it's the with many others that, uh, that, I'm, that, are, that describe our youth, our children, and many others uh, of, of in the church today, and not yet in the church. Uh, they with many others received their first lessons in the world of spirits and were prepared to come forth in the due time of the Lord to labor in his vineyard for the salvation of the souls of men. And so, gosh, being called by prophecy, did the Lord foreknow that I received first lessons and that I was prepared? Of course he did. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Jacob 5, Lord of the Vineyard seemingly doesn't know what to do, but they call the servants, right? These, this foreordained group, come help us, uh, and, the, and the vineyard is saved. Um, I think this all ties together really well. But a, a young person who's, who's being called to something or anyone who's being called to something, ask yourself, am I being called by prophecy? Has the Lord foreknown? And Joseph Smith taught that, uh, that the callings we receive in this life were foreknown to the Lord. It reminds me of, of Stephen Robinson's thesis in his book, Believing Christ. And he chose the title, Believing Christ, my understanding is, uh, a lot of people believe in Christ, but they don't believe him. <laughs> That's exactly right. It doesn't believe it applies to me, or, and, and I like that. No, you can believe him. You can believe what he said about you, um, which uh, some of us are like, oh, I, well, I know it was everybody else, but I don't know about me, you know. Right. But to having faith in Christ, yeah, that's a that's a beautiful thought. He made the analogy of you don't you don't believe in electricity unless you use it, right? <laughs> you can believe in electricity and be like, wouldn't it be great if it all applied to me? Uh, but I'll just sit here dark in my house. Uh, he said, use it, use it. If you believe in it, use it. And I think uh, sometimes also in our trainings, Brother Corbett, we talk about the importance of setting these young people apart to serve in their class presidencies, have them listen to what the Lord wants to say to them during that time. I'm interested in, in Article of Faith 6 because both of you have had an increased, I'm sure in the last few years, uh, an increased amount of interaction with apostles and prophets. So I'm interested in what you have to say about this verse, that we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, apostles and prophets and pastors which I would say is bishops, 
teachers, evangelists. Wouldn't we say that we're looking at patriarchs there? Right. Uh, as evangelists. Yeah, that's what Joseph Smith taught. I, w- I think our listening audience would love to hear from both of you about the primitive church and your experiences with the apostles and prophets. Take it away, Brother Corbett. I, I don't have nearly as much as you do. <laughs> it, it is a great privilege and, and uh, a powerful experience. Can I start, though, uh, as a 17-year-old? I, there I was, in uh, just graduated high school uh, in Philadelphia, as you know, and uh, my family had moved over to southern New Jersey. We lived in a, which is kind of a suburb of Philadelphia across the Delaware River. Missionaries came, they're teaching our family, and I distinctly remember the lesson about apostles. Um, they opened a flip chart, and there was President Kimball, President Tanner, and President Romney, and then 12 apostles uh, under them. And, I sa- and they said that there were 12 apostles on the earth again. And I said, really? Where are they? And they said, oh, they are in Utah at church headquarters. And I remember, this is so weird to try to explain, but it was as if they answered a question that I didn't know I had. I, I thought, you know, this is a 17-year-old kid who's, who's thinking that that's, a, that's an important point. That, that the restored church has that office and, and those uh, leaders uh, again on the earth. And, and, and now, and so it's just such a privilege John and I have to, to be guided by them, to be led by them, to, to meet with them periodically and hear their direct counsel. They love the members of the church, the children, the youth. Um, it's wonderful to feel that love. I've heard it said um, by a couple of people who said, every interaction that I've had with, with these prophets and apostles today confirms that they are the people you hope they are um, when, you, when, you know, when they're not around. I remember a friend of mine told me that, uh, that he was once had to make a presentation for the first presidency, and he was very nervous, and they could tell he was nervous. He looked up, and President Uchtdorf gave him two thumbs up. <laughs> You're doing great, right? And he said, it just confirmed to me that they are the people I, I hope I hope they are. They really are. Not that they're perfect, but that, that they do have the character we hope they have. Apart from seeing them periodically and being in occasional meetings with them, I, I have a friend. Uh, he was living in Texas at the time and getting his MBA. Um, and uh, he and his family attended a multi-stake meeting where then Elder Oaks spoke, this is many years ago, and Elder Oaks told a story, and my friend recognized that there was a piece of the story that wasn't there. So afterwards, he, he went up to Elder Oaks and, and said, I, I noticed you left this part out of the story, and it was just the two of them, and for context, and this becomes important later, my friend is, is white, uh, and so he asked Elder Oaks this, and it was just the two of them. And Elder Oaks said, I left that part of the story out because I consider it to be racist. And I didn't want to repeat it. My friend tells me that later on. I mean, it just So there was no person present who, you know, there wasn't a minority present or someone hearing, overhearing this. That's just who Elder Oaks is. 
that that's just the man, President Dell and H. Oaks. And and I and so many stories, and you, I'm sure you two have others, where they are just shown to be who they present to be and whom the Lord calls. Absolutely. I, 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 did, I know that that probably wasn't the purpose of Article of Faith 6, but I was excited to ask. <laughs> so... I, I look at the order of the Articles of Faith, and remember, they're coming perhaps crafted like these are often asked questions, but let's put the most important things first. So look what, like you said, Hank, creation, fall, atonement. Who is God? Um, and who am I? Uh, and who is the Savior? And I just, I think it's significant the church doesn't come down until number six. It's not article of faith number one, you have to be in our church. There's nothing like that. There is God is real, and the Savior is real, the Holy Ghost is real. And uh, men will be punished for their own sins, not Adam's transgressions. What's, what's my state? Through the atonement of Christ, we can be saved. Um, we do need those ordinances. Where do we go to get those? And it's all the way down to six, where we have the first mention of the church. And I wish that was an original thought with me, but Stephen R. Covey wrote this book called The Six Events of the Restoration. You know about the seven habits? Well, the six events of the restoration, Brother Covey suggested the the order of the events of the restoration are kind of a formula for solving life's problems. They always start with, who is God and who am I? And then who is the Savior? What is the gospel? Where do I go to accept the Savior? And that they unfold that way, and I'd never thought of that before. I think uh, I heard Brother Covey once at an education week also kind of say, if you look at the order of the Articles of Faith, you kind of see the order in which things fell apart as the apostasy began, that started with the nature of God. And then with the original sin and things like that, and I had never saw, seen it that way before, but I thought that was a, a fun thought to interject when you see the church is not showing up until number six. How insightful is that? Yeah. And, and as you said, with ordinances being mentioned in three, four, and five, and then the church showing up to administer those ordinances in six. During this um, pandemic, you know, why don't we just stay home for church? Well, there's, we go because that's where there are ordinances like partaking of the sacrament. Uh, we've, uh, that's important. The Lord wants us there to renew covenants and partake of the sacrament. And it's kind of another reason why the church, I, the elder Christofferson gave a talk in, I want to say 2015, called Why the Church. And it's fun to take that apart. And you can just make bullet points of all of the reasons why we gather, we strengthen one another, we mourn with those that mourn, comfort those who stand in need of comfort. And so it's important, but I do think it's interesting that it's these fundamental things are mentioned first before the organization of the church is mentioned in number six. Mm, mm. And, and uh, that's so great. And, and another couple, why the church? Uh, President Oaks j just spoke on that uh, in uh, just this, more this past conference. Uh huh. And, and and a couple other points. Emo. Well, one of course is the uh, the sacrament uh, to to help us in the process of repentance and renewing our covenants. Uh, it, it, that being an ordinance, one of the main ones that we're talking about here in these in these articles of faith. But another is, I love his phrase that we 
we associate with people who test us and whom we test. (laughs) 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 So, and so it's, uh, you know, and you do, you find yourself, church brings people together who are disparate and different and diverse and and invites us all to come unto Christ and walk the same wet path, and uh, and we learn patience, and we teach others patience with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I need to tell the Mapleton Sixth Ward that I have I've helped them quite a bit with their <laughs> with testing them, my neighbors, and my oh goodness, that's so funny. People that test us and whom we test. Yes, I may or may not true. be quoting him exactly, but that was his concept, and and I just love that, Hank, that you are the gift of God to the Mapleton which ward, the sixth ward, yeah, the Mapleton sixth, sixth ward. ward. They have learned they are very patient people, uh, and that's because I've been a part of their ward for eleven years. So much. It's required a lot of faith, but uh, yes, they have endured all things. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Elder Christofferson, he said, uh, it, it, it gives us a place to experience the application of divine doctrine. <laughs> and he talks about idiosyncrasies. And then he said, or as President Packer used to say, idiot idiotsyncrasies. <laughs> so, uh, in my case, think, anyway. No. What I inflict out, on my members. What was the, uh, I think it was Eugene England who said, the church is as true as the gospel. Because he meant this is a place for us to experience all of these things in faith and repentance and everything and uh, to <laughs> test, be tested and to test others. Yeah. Occasionally at BYU, I teach the New Testament. I get a student who says, well, I like, I love Jesus. I'm not so sure about organized religion. And I'm like, listen, if you love Jesus... He loves organized religion. Uh, Jesus wants this. This is something that's clear in the Bible, clear in the Book of Mormon, clear in the Doctrine and Covenants. He is he he wants us in an organized religion. I think this is why we're talking about uh, John. You wrote that book on Moroni. I mean, that full chapter is get together often, sing, gather, and pray. And people say, "Yeah, I don't believe in organized religion." I say, "Go to the nursery. It's not that organized." But when you look at <laughs> And, and I just offended a bunch of nursery leaders. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> when, when you look at Moroni, and thank you, Hank, for bringing that up. So Moroni takes over for his father. What do I do? I have no ore. I have no plates. I, I, how long I'm going to live? I know not. And then he's like, uh, Mormon 9, listen, believe in Christ. Fundamental, right? And then let me, I'm going to give you an example of what happens to nations when they don't believe in Christ and gives us the book of Ether. And then he comes back. I've got a few more things to say. And it's uh, it's not until Moroni 6 that he starts mentioning the church. It's, it's very similar. He talks about priesthood and ordinances and the prayers on the sacrament, how we gave the Holy Ghost. And then Moroni 6, here's how we operated the church. Thanks for mentioning that because it's a similar order of events than the Articles of Faith. I think it might be a good time, John, just for us. We don't do this very often on Follow Him, but to just anyone listening, the invitation, please go to church. Please, please. I I know some people just, oh, it's not for me. Oh, I, you know, I, I... I like everything about the gospel, but I just, uh, someone offended me. Whatever it is, please, please come join with us. 
on Sunday. Come be tested and be, yeah. be yeah. <laughs> and and test others. Come and be and, tested. And tested. <laughs> we we need you there. We need you there. I think sometimes we emphasize you need the church, but I think sometimes we should emphasize the church needs you. We need all of us. We need all of us to help each other and maybe even to test each other. <laughs> and Jesus certainly in the New Testament organized religion. Yeah. He organized his church himself. It's very clear. It's very clear uh, how the Savior feels about us being organized. It's a great theme to come together and worship the Lord. I love verse 7. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. That's all right out of the New Testament. It, it seems to flow very naturally from verse 6. Verse 6 being offices, and then verse 7 being uh, operations of, being of gifts. the Holy Ghost, gifts. I wonder if they got questions about that a lot, because we read in the, the cultural kind of backdrop in Joseph Smith's day, there were the shaking Quakers, and there was even, what was the section of the Doctrine of Covenants, Hank, where the Lord warned people, because there were there was two, two people falling down and right. one jumping around the earlier room. sections. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, no, that's not, you're going too far, or that's not of, of God. And this is a, a statement of, we believe in the same things in the New Testament. And I love that they added interpretation of tongues. If somebody's just speaking in tongues and nobody's there to understand, uh, that doesn't sound like a house of order. Somebody will be there to interpret it. And the prophet Joseph Smith encountered that uh, at one point when he went to Ohio. And so in the sections 39, 40, 41, we're right around the time in church history where where he was speaking to those issues. There's a book, a wonderful book that was recommended to me called Mormonism in Transition. It's a it's definitely scholarship. It's not a it's not an easy read. It took me a while to get through it, but Thomas Alexander wrote the book and he talks about, you know, how do we go from the church of the of the 1870s, 1880s kind of these uh, polygamists out in Utah to the 1920s, 1930s where you know, we have Latter-day Saints uh, throughout the country and they're serving in the Senate. And how do we, he says that 50 years right there, Mormonism in transition. And he talks about the gift of tongues becoming a fast and testimony meeting. He said that was a transition where they stopped speaking in tongues and started this tradition of coming up to the pulpit and bearing your testimony. Uh, and so yeah, it was just an it was a fascinating thing that he talked about that they said, okay, we're kind of uh, and and no there was never an official like hey, we're not speaking in tongues anymore. It just kind of made this gradual transition from come up and offer us your testimony uh versus this idea of speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues cuz you know, people might wonder where did that go? What happened there? And that's that's that that it was a really a fascinating a fascinating book. If you both want to read it, it will, it will take you. A, it's a slog to get through. It really is. It is so well researched. He says he basically takes those fifty years and he says, "Here's what's happened to young men. Here's what happened to young women. Here's what happened to primary. Here's what happened to Sunday school. Here's what happened to correlation." He just goes through the entire church over that fifty year period and how it transitioned from what it was to, to kind of what we have today. Anyway, fascinating read. It's called Mormonism in translation. In transition, the only reason I read it is because Alex Baugh told me it was in his top five books he'd ever read on the history of the church, and so I said, "Well, I'll pick it up." 
And uh, it is, I mean, it is, it is definitely not, especially that it was a hundred pages on primary. I mean, it, <laughs> I was like, wow, you really did your research here. It's fascinating. And I do remember him saying, where did the gift of tongues go? It really turned into fast and testimony meeting. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Brother Corbett, you, you, you lead us out and take us through eight through the rest here. Uh, eight says, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. Love the, uh, these two basic pillars of our, of our canon, uh, which, of course, the Lord in his wisdom added to. And I think that was important to take a stand on the Bible, that we love the Bible. We want to make sure it's translated correctly, interpreted correctly, so forth. Two basic pillars of our canon. Yeah, don't you think so? Uh, yeah. Of course, he, he added to them, uh, obviously, in his wisdom, and we are enriched for it. And he also uh, guided Joseph Smith to conduct the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. And, and, uh, and I consider how much scripture we have as a result of that exercise alone. Look, look think of section 76 as he's, as he's translating John 5 and other scripture. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah, we're, we've got the church now and we have the Bible. Joseph Smith makes it, it's almost as if, I don't know, John, what did you say? This is kind of how the gospel came about. We've got the yeah, first it's vision. Unf it's unfolding. It's, yeah. yeah. And then we get to the Bible. Oh, and the Joseph Smith translation and the Book of Mormon. That was, as we've mm -hmm. talked this year, those were his two big, what did you call it, John? You called it Gospel 101, translating the Book of Mormon. And then. Right. And the graduate school, that was Joseph Fielding McConkie, was the JST, was because the, the Book of Mormon, as we said, is a very much faith, repentance, faith in Christ, repentance, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost, endure to the end. And boy, but then the JST, wow. And and all the things that came from that and the Doctrine and Covenants. And that leads us right into, boy, number nine, doesn't it? It does. What do you say about that, brother? Uh, the, can the canon is not closed. <laughs> John, read nine for us. This is an important article of faith that is yet to be fulfilled, right? When people tell me, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? I, I say, as far as I know, article of faith of nine is still in effect. There's still many great and important things that are going to be revealed. We have a continuous restoration. We believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there's a past, present, future there. And I think that maybe in contrast to the idea of God has spoken, we have his word, now we just govern our life according to this, but it's a God who is continuing to speak. And I think I shared before that experience that our friend, uh, Dr. Robert Millett had as a biblical studies student at Florida State. Have I told you that? <laughs> he said that he was the only member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the class, and the professor knew it, and he kept saying, the canon of scripture is closed, set, fixed, and established. And he wrote that on the board. And then he'd talk about it some more and walk around the room and come back. The canon is closed, set, fixed, established. And walk around the room some more, getting more animated. The canon is closed, set, fixed, and established. And finally turned and said, Mr. Millet, will you please tell us the Latter-day Saint view of the canon? <laughs> and he's totally on the spot. And he stood up and said, well, 
I guess we'd say the canon is open, flexible, and expanding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said, and then we had a really interesting discussion, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's number nine. Where does it say, Hank, that man could put forth his puny arm and stop the Missouri in its course than to stop the Lord yeah. from Section pouring out truth? 121, right. yeah. Yeah. And no, the canons that they, we love what we have, but the Lord can keep talking as long as he wants to. And as I recall, as well might man stretch forth his puny arm to stop the Missouri River or to turn it up in its decreed course or to turn it upstream as to hinder the Almighty from pouring down knowledge out of heaven upon the heads of the Latter-day Saints. Yeah, you nailed it. And... And that's like number nine. It's continuous. That's it. That's and it. And it's alive. That's my, to me, this harkens back to section one, the only true and living church upon the face of the earth. This thing's alive. It's moving. It's growing. It's adapting. It's evolving. It's going to, it's going to continue to grow. Not that other churches aren't true. They teach the Bible. They teach Jesus. I mean, these are true principles, true and living church upon the face of the whole earth. This is alive and it's, it's growing, which is it's going to lead later on to our discussion in the official declarations. I was just going to say, official declarations one and two are two of the many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God that were revealed. Relates right to nine. Yeah, that is a really good tie-in there. Right to nine. And it also, it also speaks to the importance of following the current prophets and apostles. Not that we, of course, we we recite and research and and follow and esteem and revere things said by all of the past prophets and apostles and other church leaders, and yet the living prophet and the living first presidency and quorum of the twelve are where we should focus our our uh, our attention most as we navigate the issues of these latter days. And I've, I've always told my students, if you could talk to any of these former prophets, um, any of them in the past who have passed away, they would all tell you the same thing. Listen to the current prophet. I don't care if it's Isaiah or Noah or President Kimball or Gordon B. Hinckley. They'd say, that's your prophet. President Nelson is your prophet. You listen to him. I, I, you, you can hear them all saying that same thing, right? They would, they would tell us, listen to President Nelson. So sometimes we, we say, oh, I, I really liked President Hinckley or I really liked President McKay, my mom used to say, right? She, even when she'd bear her testimony, she'd say, I know President McKay is a true prophet, even though he'd, it was two or three presidents of the church ago, she'd still <laughs> talk about <laughs> President McKay. Uh, but I think President McKay would say, Cindy, you listen to your current prophet. Hank, I just quickly remember President Benson saying the, the living prophet has TNT. Uh, do you remember that? And you, you, no, TNT is BYU, right? Yeah, today's news today, and that was that was the point. What is he saying today? Find the one who's speaking today, and uh, which is exactly right. And what a what a blessing! I mean, I, I just yesterday I was teaching and we were looking at something President Hinckley had said, and I just thought, wow, uh, I wonder if President Hinckley can see what's going on now with the pandemic and. When I when I got my mission call, this will date me. It was it was over the signature of President Spencer W. Kimball. The church had about three million members. I mean, it's an entirely different church. You know, what are we? 16, 17 million? 
After John came back, there were six million. He was yeah, so successful. He, he single-handedly doubled the size of the church. In the no, things really picked up after I left. <laughs> yeah. After, yeah. There's... No, in the Philippines, <laughs> there were four missions when I was there. Now there's like 22. As soon as I left, things really got a lot better. So Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, Joseph Smith taught this is the basis of the kingdom of heaven, revelation adapted to circumstance, right? Not revelation from the past, which is always beneficial to read and to study and to learn these doctrines that have been set. I mean, if they've already been set, we don't need to restate them. Uh, but revelation adapted to circumstance. There is no, in my mind, there is no coincidence that a global pandemic hits and the presence of the church is a is a doctor right to me in my mind you that it was a revelation adapted to circumstance the lord saw this coming long ago and lined those two up how, how we are in very safe and capable hands i think we might need to point out well i i think that people of all faiths can be inspired we are talking about a, a leader um, of the entire church uh having continuous revelation and being uh an ordained, uh, how would you say it? It's going back to number five. There's a, a, a person on earth called to be the president of the church. Yes. Yeah, the, an oracle, a mouthpiece, a spokesperson. Um, and, and I, you know, and it says uh, all that he does now reveal, we tend, to, we tend to think sort of institutionally through the prophets, but that, of course, includes what he reveals to all of us. Uh, Pre President Nelson himself said, uh, he said, in coming days, you remember that in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost, and, and pled for all of us to do whatever we can, do the work necessary uh, to increase the revelation in our lives. So th this, I think that fits right into nine as well. Yeah. Isn't that true? And I feel like he's, he says it with such love in his eyes and in his countenance, but some of the things he says are like, whoa, write that down. will not be possible to survive spiritually unless you've got the guidance of the Holy Ghost. I mean, those are, whoa, <laughs> type right. Um John, I liked what you said about others receiving revelation as well, that this isn't just about one person. This is a February 15th. 1978 first presidency statement it is it, um, we, we don't have to read the entire thing but uh this um it says quote the great religious leaders of the world such as muhammad confucius and the reformers as well as philosophers including socrates and plato's and others received god's light moral truths were given to them by god to enlighten whole nations and to bring a higher level of understanding to individuals and listen to this it reads almost like an article of faith uh, we believe, we believe that God has given and will give to all people sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation, all people. Um, and then I wanted to read one more for you. And it comes from Hubie Brown, who is, uh, is just a, just an incredible mind in the history of the church. Uh, he says, quote, revelation may come in the laboratory out of the test tube out of the thinking mind and the inquiring soul, out of search and research and prayer and inspiration. 
We must be unafraid to contend for what we are thinking and to combat error with truth in this divided and imperiled world. And we must do it with the unfaltering faith that God is still in his heaven, even though all is not well in the world. Um, uh, he calls it a dauntless pursuit of truth. Have to share a story with you guys. Oh, those are great quotes. And they and they set up this story really well. And, and we didn't even know that we were going to go down this road. Um, so there I was about 10 or 11. Uh, we were, our family was practicing in the nation of Islam. We were living in North Philly in a, in a, in a you know, deeply inner city community. My older brother, who was 17 or 18 at the time, wanted to go to a house party down the street um, with his friend across the street named Eric. And uh, mom said, uh, no, I don't, I feel, I have a bad feeling about it. Not members of the church. Mom said, I, I have a bad feeling about it. Mom, mom, come on. It's just right down the street. It, you know, it, it's what can happen. It's it's just, and he really, really, you know, he got upset. Mom said, no. And she said, and I quote, the Holy Ghost told me you should not go to that meeting. You should not go to that party. And he was upset and 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 just, you know, storming around and tantrums and so on, but she would not let him go, and, and he knew well enough not to go. The next morning, we get the news that Eric had been shot uh, and paralyzed. Um, they would have gone together. They would have come back together. Probably something would have happened to Tony, my older brother. This was the same mom who seven, seven, six or seven years later would feel the rightness and goodness of the missionaries and what they were sharing with our family when we all moved to New Jersey. I have a, an absolute testimony that the Lord reveals light and truth and knowledge to all of his children uh, everywhere uh, to give them sufficient, as you just said, Hank, to give them sufficient knowledge to, to carry on. Yeah, so I, I like that because I think what we're seeing here it, we're talking about, as you put it, Brother Corbett, there, God has a prophet, an oracle, right? And the, this this church wasn't um, just another take on the Bible, but it was restored by God. So we're talking about, in Article of Faith 5, you know, a, a man called by prophecy, called of God. But this continuous revelation, uh, th there could be more revelation come that is uh, canonized. Am I saying this right? But individuals of all faiths, I think God loves his children and he helps them and blesses them. And, and your mom for your family, isn't that a beautiful story? Yeah. Well, we're up to Article 10, uh, one of my favorites, the Gathering of Israel. Uh, can we come back to this one? Uh, just, Absolutely. Uh, we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. For many years, I, I uh, was part of a team that represented the church to the United Nations and the international community generally in, in New York. Just think of it as an international platform for organizations to become better known globally. So it was uh, perfect for us to uh, expose to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the restored church. Um, and this was one of our key messages 
that that uh, that God wants all people to have the right of religious freedom, essentially. So important. I think this is a unique article of faith in that it starts, we claim instead of we believe. I don't know if that's important, but I just think it's interesting that uh, it was kind of maybe growing out of early persecutions. We're not trying to force our beliefs. We're not trying to take over the country. We claim the privilege of worshiping. We want all others to have the same privilege. Yeah. And it's, it does insert a little bit of more of a force there, doesn't it, John? We mm-hmm. believe, we believe, we believe. We claim this right because it's ours. Yeah. <laughs> this is a constitutional right. Yeah. I can claim something because it's mine. And that goes to the next one too, because uh, 12, we're subject to, to laws and to governments. We're not uh, a threat. The, the Nauvoo Charter is not a threat to the- <laughs> Yeah. We're not above the law, but the law says we can claim our right. And we that was another key message uh, to other nations and leaders of other nations, that uh, members of the church in your nation will be subject to their leaders, kings, presidents, rulers, magistrates, in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. That was so key to help these ambassadors from all over the world, heads of state and so on that we interacted with, understand that this is a not just a a, a a belief or a tenet that we have but one of our articles of faith yes 150 years earlier you know you can show this and say oh no this is i had never thought of how important that statement could become when the church starts to go so international mm. yeah to tell uh, leaders of other nations Members of our church, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in your country, you can expect to be among your best citizens. This is part of what we teach them, yeah. I can see this in Joseph Smith's mind, that all the lies that had been spread, that he's above the law, he doesn't, he wants to take over America, he, you know, he, all these things that people are saying about him, and he's clearing it up exactly in just one sentence. We obey the law. We are subject to the law and we obey it. You know, and in section 58, uh, he, the Lord said, let no man break the laws of the land. You remember that comment? For he that keepeth the laws of God hath no need to break the laws of the land, right? Wherefore be subject to the powers that be until he reigns whose right it is to reign. And just another statement embedded in scripture directly from the Lord, apart from this this article of faith that supports the article of faith. They're, they mutually support each other. That had some prophetic vision to it, didn't it? Both of those, yeah. And and this also reminds me of President Oaks's talk on the Constitution, that sort of landmark talk uh, where he uh, calls on all of us to defend the Constitution. And of course, the Lord says that in the in section 98, that he justifies uh, us in befriending the Constitution, uh, that law which is the constitutional law of the land here in the U.S. And so that's uh, another uh, another highlight of this same principle, that it's important in his mind. I remember just the name of the talk was a talk. Uh, defend our divinely inspired constitution, right? <laughs> that right there, just the name of the talk is a message to defend our divinely inspired constitution. 
And and uh, there's another instance, Hank, where here's somebody who's in the highest councils of the church whose background is in what? Right. A former Utah State Supreme Court judge. Yeah. It's almost as if God saw this coming. Yeah. Almost, I mean, yeah. the talk he gave called Judge Not and Judging, I referred it to my students just yesterday, the uh, law and love. He has given some wonderful, insightful talks about things that he knows about. He's in there, right man at the right time. And having clerked for, for the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court once upon a time, he just... Uh, you, you can just see and feel how the Lord's hand has been upon him, preparing him for what he's yeah. now doing. Uh, so let's move to 13, John. Did you have a song you wanted to sing about this one? <laughs> I swear you uh, had a song about 13 for a while, I, didn't I, you? I, okay. In spite of popular demand, I'd like to sing this song. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I used to say in the Dominican Republic, uh, brothers and sisters, actually I'd say hermanos y hermanas, eh, I, I would, you know, thank you for having us here in a state conference or whatever. And I, and this is Hermana Corbett. She's my Article of Faith 13 wife. Ah, she's lovely. She's, she's virtuous. She is, yep, <laughs> virtuous and lovely and of good report and praiseworthy, honest, chaste, benevolent, etc. I like that a lot. I, I've, I've always thought um, Section 13 could guide me in my media choices. Right. If I'm Ooh. picking up a show on Netflix or if I'm picking a show on Amazon or something with me and the family, uh, is it, does it, is it good? Right. Is it virtuous, lovely, good report, praiseworthy? There's so much good media out there that fits this category um, that you, you don't really need to go into the, uh, the other categories. You, you wouldn't have enough time. There's so much good media. So I just feel like, that's a, it's a good test of our media. And along with section 50, that which doth not edify is not of God and is darkness. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but what I love about 13 is it could have said, uh, we believe in honesty, truth, chastity, benevolence, but it says we believe in being honest, true, it's a becoming thing, to quote uh, President Oaks again. We don't just believe in the idea. Well, of course I believe in the idea, but do I have to do it? Now, we believe in becoming that. And I love how the stripling warriors, it doesn't say they were men who knew the truth. It says they were men who were true. Our aspiration is to become what we believe. We believe in being honest, true, and chaste, and benevolent, and virtuous. Not just in saying, yeah, that's a great principle. I kind of like it from a, from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that other people should do. I really feel strongly about that. Did y'all hear what I just said? Everybody do this. Uh, yeah, but that idea of, of becoming is, I think, in there. Not the, not the uh, sum total of our acts, but what we've become. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't, hadn't put those together, John. Thank you. And it really is the gospel be creates something, right? All of this that we've talked about this far creates this kind of being in 13. This is what we're after. And I think that if you started with 13, it just sounds like, you know, basic ethics. So you don't start with 13. You start with number one, with God the Father, with his son Jesus Christ, with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and with number three, with the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. And so what is a Christ-like life like? 
Well, it's like 13. But we don't start with 13. We start with with God, with the Savior, with the atonement. What's that statement from President Packer, John? Um, True doctrine understood. Yeah, changes attitudes and behavior, and a study of the doctrines of the gospel will change behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior. Doesn't that kind of feel like the Articles of Faith there? Here's our doctrines which lead to this behavior. You've all heard the unofficial 14th Article of Faith, right? We believe in meetings. We hope for meetings. We have endured many meetings. We hope to be able to endure more meetings. If there's any justification for holding a meeting, we seek after these things. You probably heard that one. <laughs> yeah. We believe in having meetings about meetings. <laughs> and if you're offended, we'll call a meeting and talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's not original with me. It's somebody else. They'll probably want to call me and have a meeting. Please join us for part two of this podcast.